Changing healthcare starts with a dream. Better care, smarter care, and healthier people. Listen weekly as Dr. Gregory Goodman interviews today's most innovative MDs as they transform healthcare and share their journey from white coat to business suit, highlighting lessons learned and golden prescriptions for your success. Join us today and get your doctor-recommended dose of MD Innovation. So this is Dr. Greg Goodman on The Modern MD. I'm really excited today. I've got Dr. Josh Umber, who's the founder of Atlas MD EMR, a direct primary care premier EMR and practice management software. Josh is board certified family medicine physician and also the owner of Atlas MD, a concierge membership-based family practice that offers unlimited services at a flat monthly fee. Josh is a leader in direct primary care and launched IamDirectCare.com to help other physicians live their dream and do what they love treating patients. Josh, welcome to The Modern MD. It's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you. We're excited to be part of it, and I appreciate you involving us with uh, your podcast. So, Josh, tell us a little bit more about you personally and your journey as a physician, innovator, and entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, we just are coming up on our five-year anniversary for the clinic. September 2nd is our start date, 2010. That pays a little homage to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrug with, because uh, September 2nd is a key date throughout the book. I was born and raised in Kansas. I'm married with three kids, uh, Caitlin, Paige, and Cole. My oldest has Down syndrome, so that's affected our lives in, in lots of great ways. And We do a lot of volunteer work in that space. It's also helped us have that extra insight into how the healthcare system works. Growing up, my dad was a trash man. He's a lawyer now, so I still tell people he's a trash man because it's less embarrassing. And I joke that our concierge model came from the original trash hauling business. It was one price, and we picked up everything you could pull to the curb. And then when I was an undergrad, I started working for a plastic surgeon who was an amazing cutter and an awful businessman, unfortunately. Not because of anything I think specifically he did wrong, but just the system of coding for work was still very foreign to him uh, after training. And he hired me as a builder and coder, and I didn't know what I was doing. He knew I didn't know what I was doing. But neither one of us appreciated what kind of impact that would have financially on the practice. It's not enough just to be good at what you did. You had to really be a good coder. So that was my sort of business transition from a model that worked incredibly well for 20 years for my dad, and then this healthcare system where no one knew what anything cost, codes and modifiers and complications and hours on hold fighting with insurance to get paid for the work you've already done. So that really made a strong impression on me as we were exploring uh, medicine at, at the undergrad level. And then I was just fortunate to work with other doctors through the undergrad, med school, and residency process. There was a Dr. Vern who founded Simple Care out in Portland, Oregon, who did an insurance-free cash model. Not a membership, but still a very affordable cash model because he just got tired of the headaches of insurance. And this was 2002. So it's amazing how bad it had to get before other doctors really wanted to come on board for direct care. That's incredible. What an incredible story. And, you know, congratulations on coming up on your on your five year journey at Atlas MD. It's a, that's a really exciting, you know, Mark. And thanks for sharing a little bit more about you personally. So we love to launch the modern MD off with the success quote. Josh, do you have a quote that's important to you that you'd like to share? Yeah. One of my most recent quotes is from Einstein, but 
It's about value, and that's something that we preach more often than anything. Charles Koch has a great book, The Science of Success, and throughout the book, it's that concept of you have to add value to a business. You have to give more and more to be successful, and that's what makes capitalism great, and we don't see that in healthcare. So the quote from Einstein is, try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. And I think we're not taught in med school how to think in good business terms. In fact, in my med school, we were taught the opposite. We were taught that money is bad, business is bad. It's unbecoming and unprofessional of a physician to dirty their hands with that. And it strikes to the core of what's wrong with healthcare because we are not trying to attach a morality to business that should be there, uh, all at Atlas Road. We have fantastic computers in our pockets and cell phones and such because of good business, good capitalism, good innovation. Entrepreneurs who take great pride in the aspect that they're building something better, faster, cheaper all of the time and providing that to the consumer. And in healthcare, we don't. And look where that's gotten us. I believe really that if our, if we take our oath seriously, of do no harm, it has to include do no financial harm. And to the best of our ability, physicians should be proud, innovative entrepreneurs because we're constantly asking ourselves, can I help my patients get more for less, have better care that's more affordable overall? Uh, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but examples from some of our medicines that say patients two or three hundred dollars a month on their medicines is giving them so much value back to their lives. And doctors will ask, well, do I really need to do this piece or that piece or, or such to be successful. I say, yeah, we have to be constantly um, challenging ourselves to add value to the business model, to the clinic, to the patient's membership, and because that's what keeps them coming back, but that's what adds to the experience of, of practicing medicine. I'm constantly doing CME to learn so that I can be a good physician, but I'm always looking for another way that I can help my patients out financially as well. So that Einstein quote of be valuable really hits to the core of, I think, how we've been successful in our direct care practice. I absolutely love that. Now, I think to your point, in medical school or residency, you know, business is, is definitely not a topic that's spoken about. But I think, you know, as physicians transition and, you know, we see hopefully more physicians like yourself being entrepreneurs and, you know, taking kind of the bull by the horns and, and really wanting to add value to their patients and create a, a wonderful experience for them. I think we have to start understanding and, and being proactive in the business world and, and making an impact, not only clinically, but in all the other uh, realms as well. So I want to shift into what I'm terming the white coat to business suit. I want to understand kind of your mindset as you made that transition into starting Atlas MD and you know, how did that kind of transition work for you? And could you kind of go and, you know, take us through that experience? Oh, sure. I've been dreaming about Atlas since probably undergrad, but definitely since med school. And going through residency, telling my peers about it. Uh, but really, third year, I was able to say, okay, now the clock's ticking. You can find a location and build a website and get letterhead and buy equipment and supplies. So we were able to transition from residency to the direct care practice directly. We didn't have to do a standard insurance model or anything first and then move to direct care. And I think that's uh, good for people to know because a lot of residents worry that surely I can't come straight out of, uh, out of my training and do a successful practice like this because we're, we're not taught the business side of it. But it's really very doable because of how valuable the model is. So that, that making that initial transition was very easy for us because we went from being a resident 
doing the same thing with no patients and then 30 a month and, and growing slow. So we really were able to ease into that ownership role uh, slowly. But then as the company, the clinic started picking up, we noticed how much inefficiency was in our base system that was affecting the viability of the model. We had nine different software platforms for just the business of running the business. And that wasn't going to work long term. So we never intended to become software engineers or become a software company, but we started to have necessity. And, and I think that's where a lot of the great business ideas come from is there, there's a need that's overly complex and expensive, and you see a solution that is very simple and affordable. And that's the direction we marched in. It was hard at the time because everybody was skating to where the puck is, as the reference quote goes, and we were going to skate to where the puck will be. So although everyone was going in one direction, we had to have enough confidence and faith in our model to go in a different direction. That was hard. But we were able to learn a lot of those skills along the way, and in part because of the dedication to educating ourselves. So we early on got an Audible account so that we could get two free books a month to listen to, and we make sure that those were business books. And not so much textbooks for accounting or HR, but conceptual, how do you make a good impression? How do you market? How do you focus on customer service so that you have happy clients and, and can grow business? So we really probably put as much energy into learning how to be a good business person as we did into becoming a good doctor. Because the mistake that a lot of people make is, well, if I'm good at one, I'll, I'll buy default, I'll be good at the other. And that's not true at all. Business is very different from medicine. And a lot of the mistakes the doctors make when they transition is not acknowledging how different that is and assuming that these pieces will fall into place on their own. Uh, another great quote I like is, nothing fails like success. We are very cautious to never rest on our laurels as we get further into the business side of it, constantly challenge ourselves to learn and look for new solutions and problem solve. That's really incredible. And sounds like you started your own, you know, direct hair model right out of the gate. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the preparation that you were doing during residency for, you know, some of the residents or, you know, other physicians that are interested in starting, you know, this type of business? What would that look like? Well, when we did it, we definitely moonlighted way more than our attendants were aware of and way more than work restrictions would allow you to do now. But it did allow us to earn enough capital to give us a lot of room to learn and make mistakes along the way. And then during third year, it took about nine months of business planning and development construction to get the clinic up off the ground. That scenario ends up not being very typical of the average doctor starting now because when we did it, no one knew what the model was. And there's down economy, young doctor, new model, etc. Now that we've helped over 100 doctors transition in the last 18 months, give or take, I think business owners, patients, doctors are seeing enough successful examples in this that it's getting easier all the time. So I've got a resident who wants to come out and start within a few months of graduating, can find a location, can put together a website. Now there's vendors marketing directly towards a direct care model so that they can pull these resources and commonalities together and start pitching employers and showing how this can work for them because uh, good artists borrow and great artists steal. Costco, CEO of Costco, says that every great idea they've ever had is stolen. And, and we should do that in healthcare. In fact, there's another doctor, Dr. Ryan, with New Care, 
who are always stealing good ideas from each other for marketing or social media. Or I did a $500 raffle for anyone who got a flu shot, so he did a thousand. So it's a, in the sport of business, you want the people around you see what they're doing, what's making them successful, and copy that over very easily. Dr. Josh, that's incredible advice, and I think it's really exciting for physicians to kind of jump out you know, right out of the gate and start similar businesses. So in the spirit of that, I'd love to shift to kind of our idea to venture. With Atlas MD and, and, and Atlas EMR, what is your big vision and where do you think this is all going? World domination. In fact, there was one time I, we did a public speaking thing and, and the reporter called later and wanted to clarify a quote we did. And I thought, sure, it'd be something of the brilliant stuff I said during the hour talk. And no, it was that quote about world domination. But uh, we do kind of, Steve Jobs asked, want to dent the universe. We, we want to change the face of family medicine, internal medicine, primary care forever. We want to see the family medicine, especially that I love, was dying on the vine. Even when I was going to med school, they said it wouldn't be around. So then when I was going to apply to residency, there was still all this doom and gloom that you know, they just won't be family doctors anymore. And they won't make any money, and they'll have these high-stress jobs, and they won't get to enjoy their patients. We want to reverse that. We want people to see that primary care, outpatient medicine is alive and vibrant and thriving, and that you can be incredibly professionally satisfied in what you do. I love my patients. Now, great, I only have 600. It's easier for me to know them and make deeper emotional bonds, and we don't have the hassle of insurance. We want to see every doctor doing that. We've got doctors come to us and say, look, I feel like I'm failing as a physician, a husband, and a father. That's everything. I mean, that's why we lose a physician every day to suicide. We really want to see direct primary care or direct care in general, as we see specialists get involved, change the face of how we practice medicine, that even the insurance companies are starting to adopt this. Even governments are looking at this as a better way. They're saying we're going broke paying for patient care and paperwork. We can't afford both. What do you want? Direct primary care slashes at the unnecessary paperwork to make a better value for our patients, just like Netflix or Airbnb or Uber. And so the most exponentially growing organizations find a very complex system that's fraught with inefficiency and make it very simple and profitable. And we want to do that in healthcare because that means every doctor we help transition, that's 600 more patients you help. Every doctor that doesn't retire is another provider we have in the system. So we're very passionate about seeing how direct care can shape this moving forward because it really will even affect, I think, the model for how things are innovated for the healthcare space. There's a ton of angel investors and just investors overall, um, aggregators and and growth hackers for innovation in in the healthcare space, but it's all very peripheral to anything insurance-based because insurance doesn't even pay for email. When are they ever going to pay for Twitter or text messages? They're not going to move at the speed that technology does versus we can integrate our patient's health kit information from the Apple devices directly into their chart in real time. We don't need to wait for insurance to pay us to do that because it adds value to our patients and lets us do a better job. So now innovation, I think, will come directly to the the doorstep of family doctors and internists and pediatricians doing an insurance-free direct care model because we can adopt and adapt. And if there's a new technology that helps me take care of patients better, I can absorb that in right away. MIT has the code to screen, filter your social media conversations to diagnose depression and that's been clinically validated in some early trials awesome i want that as part of my chart i want that as a tool even if i have to pay for it instead of the patient because it helps me do a better job as a physician 
It'll be a cold war of sorts, a physician saying, what else can I add to my practice to add value to my patient? It's a, it's a beautiful time to be a patient in that regard because now you're not prevented from access, accessing care because of all this bureaucratic red tape. Quite literally the opposite. Now you're a very valuable commodity to your physician. They want to do the most that they can for you to earn your business. And, and I, that's an exciting time for me and, and I think for patients. I think it's really exciting and uh, on your path to world domination, I think, you know, healthcare is shifting. You know, it's an exciting time. I think the outpatient setting and the primary care setting is uh, only going to get more exciting. We do need, you know, more physicians that are open and willing to kind of, you know, look at some of the other technologies and things out there and understand them and adopt them. I, I think it creates the better value and better outcome for the patient. So one of the things that I like to touch on, because I think it's always a scary topic in entrepreneurship is failure. You know, you came out of residency, you started a business, you know, on your trip to world domination, I'm sure there were some uh, bumps in the road. Would you be willing to share, you know, a failure or, or a time maybe where you had to kind of shift or, or, or change to, to kind of continue moving forward and kind of share that experience and, and maybe the lesson you learned there? Oh, yeah. It's very interesting because almost like a med student, the thing that makes an entrepreneur successful is that they are looking for what no one else has seen. You've got to find that zebra diagnosis, and that makes you a really good student. But when you're a doctor, you're just looking for hope. An entrepreneur is successful because they look into the darkness and see what's never been done before. It's really schizophrenic. You have to believe in an idea, a concept, a vision that no one else believes in. And that's what makes you amazingly successful. But medicine, what makes us really good is the fact that we don't do new things. We stick to the old. What does our attendings do? What's been validated over 10, 15 years of research, etc. So it's a dichotomy there that makes it very hard to be both a successful business person and a successful doctor. You have to really split your, your brain, your personality into two parts. In Silicon Valley or startups, thrive on failure. It is, it is a badge of honor more often than, than it is a sign of weeks. You just keep going and it's fail fast, fail early, fail often and learn from them. And medicine is so much the other way. You're not allowed to fail. To fail would somehow crack the veil of the, the idea that we're infallible. We're, we're doctors, you know, uh, we're, we're above that. And, and so coming out into this space, there's another quote about successful people have a certain amount of um, productive paranoia. Some days you walk a fine line, it's just regular paranoia. And there's no productive part to it. And, and, and there is a, a constant worry about fear, uh, that fear of failing. I think channeling that has made us very successful. Uh, we've been fortunate in the sense of the clinic and the software. We haven't had to stop and pivot in a dramatic way, but we are always reevaluating the best way to do things and it, not holding on to sacred cows any longer than we should. If, if that's not working, let's keep moving forward. Again, it's hard because we're not allowed that privilege really in med school to, to do that. So you come into the business world and you carry that fear and paranoia that any sign of failure is going to be somehow catastrophic. So we, we really had to adapt to that. Um, I remember the first time someone left the EMR for whatever reason. Oh, my God. You know, the first time someone left the clinic. The idea, I thought I'd get 600 patients, zero to 600, be a steady march up, and then they'd stay with me till I die. It's not like that. People move in, they move out, but the model still successful and thrives. Not in spite of it, but probably because of that. It's your learning curve. You just really do, almost like that parent who watches the vitals, and, uh, uh, the heart rate's too fast, and then their anxiety goes up, 
the heart rate slows down and the clearance anxiety slows down. And, and so you, you can get very distracted watching the things that don't matter and, and not focusing on the things that do. That, that's something we try to talk about a lot when doctors come through. Nothing wrong with failing. Encourage it, embrace it, learn from it, except that not everything has to work. Uh, not every marketing idea or business idea will be successful, but you know you you can shoot, you can do small trials and big trials, so you can learn small ways, fail in small ways, and learn from it, uh, so that you don't have to fail in big ways. Yeah, and books like you know, Good to Great or Great by Choice are prime examples of how to learn those theories. I love that, and you know, to your point, medical you know school and I think just the culture of medicine is is so afraid of failure and. I think you brought up a lot of great points there. You want to fail quickly. You want to learn from failure. You know, for those physician entrepreneurs listening, it's it's something you want to embrace and you want to move past it. So with that being said, I want to go into our last section, which is not our typical hospital rounds. So these are business rounds. So you can put your business hat on. Josh, what is the best life advice that you've ever been given? Oh, what life advice I've ever been given? You know, it, it wasn't a quote or, or anything directly, but the lesson of work ethic. I would always say, I'm not an A student. I am, I'm not the smartest student, not the smartest doctor, not the smartest business person. But I think I have a, a work ethic that's really matched. And I remember this going all the way back on the trash truck as a kid. And, hey, we did a man's job. We could complain and curse. And, and, and I remember distinctly throwing a bag of trash and just falling apart in the air. I had to pick it up, and I was just furious about that. My dad came back because he was driving at the time and said, you know, you can complain all you want. The work still got to get done. And it was just this idea that if you do complain, the day just got harder and harder and harder. And if you don't complain uh, and, and you just deal with those things that you can't change, it just marks full. Work through the problem. If I had to summarize it in a quote for how it applies to what we do, I think it's George Bernard Shaw says, reasonable men adapt themselves to the world. Unreasonable men adapt the world to themselves. That's all progress depends on unreasonable men. So there's a very interesting paradox of being unreasonable and not accepting the normal headaches and hassles that we see and we're confronted with day-to-day insurance and prior authorizations and, and obstacles and just being committed to working through those despite everyone around you saying it may not work. And there was a great article in Forbes the other day talking about incredibly successful people, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and, and how the founders of that were told for the first several years, if not 10 years, that this can't work. This won't work. Take a regular job. Take a safe job. Why would you do that? I, your friends and family don't think it's going to work. How is anyone else going to? But when you, you believe that there is a, a way to improve the world, sometimes you do have to just take that vision, be unreasonable, demand progress, demand change. And, and part of making that successful is that's not going to change overnight. You just have to be committed to work through that. And, and that, that dedication to hard work, I think, is, has served me better so far than much else really great. Uh, your quote with uh, George Bernard Shaw is actually my favorite quote. I think uh, it is all about the unreasonable men in this world. You, you know, the people that are out there, you know, willing to go out, do things that are unreasonable is is what's really going to drive change. And, you know, I think the, those are the people that make a big impact. So do you have kind of a daily success habit or something that you do like a morning routine that you'd like to share? You know, my biggest thing is I try to empty my emails every day. That's my to-do list. That's my mental box of, of important things. I try to make sure I get to those early and often. You know, again, the little things that impress people. The fact that I respond to emails or phone calls or text messages. Still, uh, people don't necessarily expect a busy doctor to do that. 
But business is a little different. They, they don't have the same expectation. They don't really care what your title is in a very interesting way. They want results. Making sure that we have that commitment, that, that work ethic. So I probably get to work early and stay late just to make sure that we're, we're juggling all the things that we have to juggle and, and following up on the details. I'd say my, my most consistent habit other than that would be reading. And, and somewhere along the line, I saw the stats on uh, successful CEOs and how much they read, and, and it's hours a day. And, and I don't have that much time, but I can tweak that by using Audible and listening at two or three speed while I'm driving or while I'm exercising or, or doing different stuff because that is both educational but is amazingly motivating and gives you ideas and connecting things that would otherwise not normally cross paths has led to some of my best ideas. So it's that I'm constantly looking to learn from other entrepreneurs and biographies. And Elon Musk is my latest hero. And to a fault, if anything, because uh, Dr. Doug and Dr. Michael and, and Dr. Christie in our office, they can tell what I'm reading by what I'm quoting. So every day, you know, oh, that's that's my new phrase of you know book is my current book, and, and I'll quote that until they get tired of it. But yeah, so that uh, and I and I probably didn't do that through med school, and it's probably not even the first year or two of our practice. Maybe didn't have time, but that would be my advice now to people: is educate yourself on anything. Now you can become an expert on on a topic uh, in your spare time, and taking that spare time, you know, will be successful working a forty-hour week. Those kind of success stories are few and far between. You're going to have to constantly push and develop yourself and, and by reading and looking for things to read and learning from the people that have done great things, it gives you some motivation and uh, perspective. That's really, really great. It sounds like just continuing to learn, continuing to work hard has is, is really served you well. So I'd love to end with healthcare trends. I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on the direct primary care model that you have. And then in addition to that, some of your thoughts on just the general you know, trends going on in healthcare and some of the exciting things you're focused on? I think direct care is about ready to hit its stride. And there's the five stages of a startup. I can't remember if it's three or four or four or five. Validation and scale. We feel like we've validated our model very well, but, but nationally it's validating itself. It's employers and insurance companies and doctors. And as ICD-10 comes down in meaningful use, and every month it's harder to be in an insurance-based practice than it was ever before. That's helping drive doctors towards the direct care movement. So I think we're optimistically six months and, and maybe closer to nine or 12 months away from just the inflection point on the curve where every doctor it feels direct care is now validated. They've seen examples in their community of doctors doing it, doing it successfully, having better lives, making more money, providing better care that's more affordable, etc. And it just really starts to explode and become the predominant model. And I think that'll happen very quickly because of the difference between an insurance-based practice and a direct care model. But where I think technology will go is maybe more exciting. Recently, I was talking with a patient and I said, well, send me a picture of this record. She said, oh, my, my phone doesn't have a camera. And my dyslexia immediately kicked in and said, you, in my head, your camera doesn't have a phone? That's where, where we've come, right? We have supercomputers in our pockets. And, and I think it's only going to be a matter of time before that, that smartphone becomes an amazing tool in our healthcare, measuring our blood pressure, our blood sugar, our pulse, how we sleep, our activity for the day, logging our blood sugars. Theranos may make blood testing so ubiquitous as to be one hour photo and from a needle stick and, and at a fraction of the cost. These 10, 20, 30x improvements that I think were really keyed up well to have huge leap affordability and access because of the fact we're pulling away from insurance as the primary reimbursement tool for healthcare. MIT also has a research on 
they were able to have students spit on their phone and the, use the electrical capacity to the touch screen to count how many bacteria were in there predictably. Couldn't identify bacteria yet. That's only going to get better with time. That doctor is going to look at the patient and, and 10 years will be just as, as silly. Your phone does, your blood pressure cuff doesn't have a phone. It, it can't do these things. It can't look at your face and measure your, your blood flow based on the, the minute changes in the color of your skin that's amplified into an algorithm. So these, uh, or Target has this amazing big data story about pregnant shoppers, and they were able to reliably say which female shoppers are pregnant, what their due date is, and knew the woman was pregnant before she did because of very application of big data. And so healthcare, I think, will continue to evolve that. Apple released their health kit and their research kit and were able to sign up like 100,000 cardiac patients for studies within the first week. Some just mind-blowing number, unprecedented level of patient engagement in cardiac research. When we can study your tremors based on how your coffee cup moves in the morning and that syncs with your phone, and oh my goodness, the, the future will be amazing in large part because now it won't be do it, validate it, prove it, now try to get insurance to pay for it and then get this, you know, CMS to put a code in for it. You're never going to be in ICD-10 for billing for the, an accelerometer on the side of your coffee cup to measure your Parkinson's tremor score. But at the speed of business, at the speed of direct care, if I can improve the quality of my patient care and they buy a device that does that, absolutely. So it'll be much richer experience for the doctors, for the patients, as we connect data to help us make validated decisions. So I'm excited to be starting, you know, just at the, the sunrise of my medical career right now. Really amazing. So Dr. Josh Umbar, thank you so much for joining us on the Modern MD. It's a true honor and privilege to have you on the show. You're an incredible out-of-the-box thinker. You know, your passion's contagious, and I'm excited to watch your world domination and hopefully participate. Well, thank you very much, and it was a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Modern MD. Head to themodernmd.com to get links and recaps of every show and so much more. Dose up and like The Modern MD Facebook page.